0: we Welcome back to another episode of Sean and Ed's Do Baseball. I'm Sean. And I'm Ed. And we are doing some baseball on, uh, I was going to say this Sunday, but Wednesday. Wednesday is when these shows come out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> welcome back. Uh, if you don't know the format.
1: <laughs> We're a bi-weekly baseball history podcast. That's right. bi <clears throat> Excuse you. Where the uh, story receiver doesn't know what the storyteller is going to be telling them. Exactly. Stories Uh, from baseball's past.
0: Yeah. Baseball history coming at you. Uget Urbina, our last episode, that
1: was a wild one. That was a wild one. Yeah. Let's just say that. Yeah. Uh, Fell off a cliff. Scared Uh, me. (laughs)
0: A little bit uh yeah well i Uh, mean great story recent history too history's always happening so uh yeah give us a follow on the instagram at doing dot baseball uh or follow us on twitter at doing baseball definitely if you're listening wherever you're listening right now please subscribe give us a review everything like that every little bit helps tell your friends uh but i'm super stoked it's baseball season uh Yeah, you you you've been watching a lot of baseball. I haven't
1: been watching with too much attention, but. Uh, you know, uh, should I comment too much on the Jays? There's not really a lot not to say. Not that
0: much. Well, like uh, my overall baseball sense at this moment is the Yankees have sucked and the Dodgers and Padres is going to be like an all-timer series this year. So, mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. are my general baseball insights at this Your moment. general takes for the time. And also that Toronto is not a small market. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, you um, still on that hill. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, so, uh, but let's do this. So, Edzie's telling me a story uh very excited don't know what i'm about to hear
1: okay uh yeah i am telling you a story uh i think we've kind of hinted at something like this for a while uh i'm not really gonna premise it too much here i'll just kind of get into the fact that this story is about a larger than life figure he was a chain-smoking charismatic photogenic redhead with a big open face He had a deep, compelling voice that writer David Kindred said, quote, came as a train in the night. He loved the game, both the one on the field and the hardball played outside the lines by baseball commissioners and owners. He baited and berated the men in power. They hated him in return. And at critical junctures, he tried to, they tried to oust him from the game, but he kept coming back. He successfully pushed for many of the major changes that took place in the game in the last two-thirds of the 20th century. The designated hitter, interleague play, a system of playoffs, free agency, and the expansion of the leagues were all things that this man advocated for and worked to achieve. I promised you a profile on this man for a while, and God it's damn. finally here. <laughs> Just tell me! <laughs> <laughs> William Lewis Vec Jr., oh was born in Chicago on February 9th, 1914, to William L. Veck Sr. and Grace Greenwood DeForest Veck. His father was a sports writer in the city under the pen name Bill Bailey. I'm just gonna say like this guy has like the story for this guy is so well covered that, you know, you could pretty much just go to, you know, his Wikipedia page or Saber page uh-huh. and it's just going to create like oh that's essentially what i did i'm just going to like bill,
0: bill bill so is it vec or veek it's vec it's vec okay so i've yeah. always been pronouncing this wrong Yeah. Uh, as we've learned uh, our pronunciations aren't always perfect so like yeah i i've honestly i've wanted to do this for a long time just like the charles finley episode mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh probably just like the future ted turner episode yes. like this yeah. was just
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's so much to this guy's story that even I'm not sure but we kind of talked about this before we started recording that this could end up being two parts, depending how much discussion we get into about how crazy this guy's life was. <laughs> I am so, I uh, but, there's uh, no
0: doubt that this might be two, <laughs> two yeah. parts now, but at the same point, Charles Finley was just a one-parter, so we'll see how this goes. Uh, let's do it. All yeah. right,
1: so, um, like I said, uh, Bill Vek's father was a sports writer in the city under the pen name Bill Bailey. So he was William Sr., but writing as Bill Bailey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vek Jr. famously liked to say, quote, I'm the only human being raised in a ballpark. He may or may not have been correct about being the only one, but he certainly wasn't lying about growing up around the park. Yeah. <laughs> as I mentioned before, William Sr. was a sports writer in Chicago and a critical one at that. Critical, like... For his criticisms, not like
0: oh oh yeah. like he, he wasn't important.
1: He you know, was, he, just was <laughs> he
0: was important,
1: but like you know he was important because he was so critical of, of, yeah, of the so, teams in Chicago. So was he
0: like a like a modern or a, not a modern day? I don't know, like a Steve Simmons
1: of his time. Uh, I mean, not maybe such like a hot take artist, but like yeah. you know, like critical of of the team. He he thought that he could run the team better. Yeah, essentially. Um, says under his pen name, Bill Bailey, Vec wrote a number of columns that criticized the way the Cubs were being run. And the man with the pen even surmised that he could run the team better. And since baseball is a section of society inhabited by personalities larger than life at the time, and even so now, but, um, uh, the Cubs owner, William Wrigley decided to call Bailey out, dared him to do better, and made William Vex Sr. the president of the Chicago Cubs.
0: (laughs) All right, that is, that is, what year was this? Uh, 1918. That is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. (laughs) You think you could do better? You're
1: the president now. What?
0: You just got hired, man.
1: Yep, you're not writing anymore, you're the president. You're the president. (laughs) You're in
0: charge, do it up.
1: Yep, so in 1918, Vex Sr. takes over the Cubs. And a few years later, young Bill began hanging around the ballpark around the age of 10, working as a popcorn vendor and ticket seller, and also apparently as a part-time concession salesman for the Chicago White Sox across town.
0: So we got a 10-year-old working at the ballpark. That's right. <laughs> Just classic. That's right. <laughs> so, so so he's working at Wrigley and across...
1: At Comiskey, yeah. Yeah. So this is 1924 around then or whatever. Yeah. So for schooling, Bill Jr. attended the exclusive Phillips Academy in Andover, Massachusetts, which is one of the best prep schools in America. Uh, okay. All right, yeah. Um, but he only lasted a few weeks after, and then spent two years of public high school in the Chicago suburb of Hinsdale. He was dispatched to the Rant School in Los Alamos, New Mexico, whose experimental curriculum followed the back-to-nature philosophy of Henry David Thoreau. Interesting. So he went from
0: like prep school, couldn't hack it at yeah. that, or was just too much of a rebel.
1: Yeah, uh, probably the latter. Yeah, I'm and guess. then they were
0: like, you know, I will just put you in a public school, and then he didn't even that. Well, that he was there for
1: work. two years, and then they sent him out to this. They're like this right, hippie school. Yeah, we're going really
0: alternative school for you, Bill, because. Uh, but he you... left
1: without graduating. No. Oh. Okay, so he didn't hack it out there either. So, so. no, no high school degree. No. Uh, but he passed an entrance exam at Kenyon College in Ohio. Uh-huh. He said he remembered his brief college career as a nonstop party. <laughs> <laughs>
0: As do as do many people. Yeah. As do many. Yeah. I but, love that. Like it's just so he's just you could just go to college if you just pass this exam. That's like high school, like in a nutshell for so many people. Yeah. Just like fail out, and then they're like, "Oh, I can still go to college." Uh, you guys told me this student, whole time. Mature student. Yeah. You told me this whole time if I didn't do this, yeah. I'd never go to college.
1: Stay in school, kids. Stay in school, but. but- he was, elected, <laughs> but he was elected freshman class president, Uh huh. played football and well, that's basketball. That's because you can do keg stands better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably right. And joined the Beta Theta Phi fraternity. In his sophomore year, his father, William Sr., was diagnosed with leukemia, and Bill quit school to be at his father's side. In the last weeks of his life, William Vex Sr. could not digest anything but wine. And since these were the years of Prohibition... <laughs> I pro- think he was lying. <laughs> well, in any case, these were the years of Prohibition, and young Bill arranged a deal to procure the spirits for his father from Al Capone. At a B. in Chicago, a right?
0: problem solved. Well, That's, you gotta think that his dad probably rubbed shoulders at some Oh, no point. doubt. And so especially your president of the Cubs slash their biggest. Why else critic. would he be writing under a pen name? <laughs>
1: exactly. You have to conceal his identity for when, some reason. Yeah. And this is probably it. Yes. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So I love that it's just like you can only drink juice. That's the only thing you'll digest. Wine? Oh, so wine is juice? <laughs> no, 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 like like juice, just like any like non citrus juice, like <laughs> grape juice, cranberry ju- Okay, so I'll drink some wine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's what happened. But anyway, when in 1933, in 1933, when Bill was 19, his father died. Vec Jr. always referred to his father simply as daddy and revered him, but the deco- the two could not have been less alike.
0: Okay, I don't like people referring to the <laughs>
1: as daddy. Well,
0: that's what he did. Yeah, anyway. no, he just loved it. He always called him daddy, not dad. Not just like, hey, dad, like, hey,
1: daddy. It's another weird hill to die on. All right. William Beck was formal, the perfect picture of establishment dignity, a true gentleman. Junior on the other hand, never wore a tie, had wild unkempt reddish hair that earned him the nickname of Burrhead and spent his life perpetually going against the grain. <laughs> Burrhead. Burrhead. <laughs> yeah. you see pictures of him, it's like, okay, yeah, he's kind of he's like curly hair, like it looks like burdock's all stuck to his hair and stuff. <laughs> Anyway, after his father's death, Vec left college, as I said, and Wrigley hired him to be an office boy for $18 a week, and he eventually rose to become the Cubs' treasurer. He was hired by Philip K. Wrigley, who had taken the helm of the club and the family business following his own father's death in 1932. Like Vec, P.K. Wrigley was an apple who fell far from the tree. His father was a super salesman and Philip was painfully shy, happier to tinker with a car than meet the public. However, the young Vec was brimming with promotional ideas, such as installing lights at the ballpark. Wrigley rejected all of them. <laughs> Vec's only contribution to the Cubs was planting the ivy on Wrigley Field's outfield walls, but that may have been Philip Wrigley's idea in the first place. What? Yeah. So uh, I
0: w- I, lo- I love uh, the rejection of just like maybe we could put some lights in so they could see better and they could play longer
1: into the evening. Nope, day games. That's it. Day yeah. games.
0: All right, but maybe we plant some plants in the outfield.
1: That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Vec married Eleanor Raymond on December eighteenth, nineteen thirty-five. She had been an elephant wrangler and horseback rider with the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. I was
0: really hoping you were going the circus route there, because if she was just an elephant wrangler, like, what's your job? Well, where elephant wrangling? Where do you
1: find that person <laughs> in America?
0: Yeah, exactly. It's just like, why are you in Chicago if that's your main thing?
1: <laughs> Bill said her daredevil tree appealed to him. But Eleanor maintained that he exaggerated his her feats with the circus. So he's going around me like, "You should have seen her. She was doing flips on top of the elephants, or whatever. Anybody that works with elephants
0: and survives just, I mean, means you earn the elephant's respect. So, uh, yeah,
1: I guess that's uh, ultimately, true.
0: Ultimately, I have earned her respect.
1: Right. Right. At or fo- er, in 1941, at the age of 27, Vec bought his first ball club. Amazing. Yeah, how? I guess his dad's money, mainly. Uh, probably. Yeah. We'll get to that. Yeah. The Milwaukee Brewers of the A American Association, which was at the time the highest level of the minors. He said sometimes that he paid nothing for the failing franchise while assuming $100,000 in debts. But the Brewers' business manager, Rudy Schaefer, said Vec put up $40,000. All right, so. It was it was. Other people's money. He had, like, investors and it, stuff all the time or yeah, whatever. Yeah, it
0: sounds like the club was, like, they were like, we're in debt, buy our debt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just looking for anybody to buy. Pretty much,
1: pretty much. So the 1941 Brewers were a last-place team, mm-hmm. and he brought along one of the investors, Charlie Grimm, to be the manager. Grimm, who played first base and the banjo left-handed, at the same time? I don't think so. I'm not even sure why that's relevant. Yeah, but, nope. Uh, he managed the Cubs in 1935 to a pennant winner, and Jolly Cholly, as he was known, was a perfect fit for, v- for Vec. Milwaukee became the place where Vec tried out all his promotional schemes, and he brought the successful ones with him to the major leagues. He cleaned and painted the stadium, which was falling apart.
0: <laughs> is that just an idea like maybe if we just
1: clean this place
0: no, up that's not an idea I'm just people out, will enjoy their time no here. i'm
1: just pointing out that he you know fixed <laughs> he, up the stadium he fixed it so, up uh he gave away prizes every night mm-hmm. showing a fascination for animals in particular lobsters what pigeons chicken lobsters <laughs> yeah lobsters pigeons chickens guinea pigs and a particular favorite a sway-backed horse
0: like, you didn't give, like, it wasn't like everyone, like, look under your seat and there's a lobster there for you.
1: No, so it would be like a door prize. Like, check your ticket. And uh. This is your seat. Like, you win a sway-backed horse. <laughs> You're just like, I live in an apartment, Bill. <laughs> yeah. And, like, the thing most of the, uh, yeah, a sway-backed horse. Do you know what a sway no, horse is? No, I have no idea. It's I basically did. a broken horse. It's like, it's like, <laughs> ligaments are all stretched out. So it's like. It's, like, all leaning forward. Like, why Why would you even want that in the first place?
0: Wait. I, I, yeah. Like yeah. Why, but even, like, just giving anybody, like, thrusting an animal upon. Like, I gather the lobsters were intended for eating.
1: Yeah, but, but wait. I mentioned later on how many lobsters <laughs> there were. And you're going to be like, that's insane.
0: <laughs> okay. But, like, a guinea pig. Like, that's just, like, you're, like, thrusting. Like, here's a pet.
1: Yeah. Get a cage. Get some wood shavings. <laughs> yeah. And a, yeah. A, water, a little all water the- bottle.
0: For it yeah, there. only a rich <laughs> crazy person <laughs> would think that's a good idea.
1: Yeah. And uh, most of the promotions were not announced in advance <laughs> as he wanted fans to come to the games anticipating a surprise. <laughs>
0: Here's how we promote it. We don't tell anyone. We don't tell anyone. <laughs> we don't even tell them there's a game
1: going yeah. on. It'll be all word of mouth. They'll just leave and be like, Vex crazy, he gave me seven <laughs> guinea pigs. <laughs> as soon as they hear about that, everyone's gonna be showing up. <laughs> And here's where we clarify the pronunciation of his name. Okay. According to his autobiography, Vec, as in wreck. Ah. Vec claimed to have installed a screen to make the right field target a little more difficult for left-handed pull hitters of the opposing team. Mm -hmm. The screen was on wheels. So any given day, it might be in place or not, (laughs) depending on the batting strength of the opposing team. Okay. There was no rule against that activity as such, but Vec then took it to an extreme, rolling it out when the opponents batted and pulling it back when the brewers <laughs> batted. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when the when the visitors are playing it's a 20 foot wall. We're playing it's eight. <laughs> just that is a like how do you know how big this screen was? Like did it cover like like all of right field or just like a really smaller, like you know, it had to be at least. Yeah. Like, 50 feet or so.
1: It's not clear because as I continue here, it says, like, Vec reported that the league passed a rule against it the very next day. Yeah. And it's probably just some embellishment by Vec to, like, kind of create a little bit more to his legend because, like, extensive research by some Sabre members, like, have, like, Mm -hmm. shown that it's probably just bullshit because there was no... References to any movable fence in reality or reference to any of the gear installed right, you know, or a little, anything. A little, little so, urban legend. It, yeah, it's more like all the accounts are basically just like someone saying, Bill Veck told me that he moved this <laughs> fence all the time, you know? So anyway, so but here's some of the other things he did that were, uh, you know... Different at the time and interesting. He scheduled morning games for overnight workers at war plants mm-hmm. and served a breakfast of cornflakes to all comers. It'd be <laughs> awesome. He believed a, ball, a trip to the ballpark should be fun, but he also built a winning team. Vec bought players, spending money he did not have, and sold them to raise capital for more purchases. <laughs> Whoa. Well, Daniel's climbing the mountain of speakers in the room. Yeah, you got animals everywhere. Yeah. The Brewers nearly won the American Association pennant in 1942. His first full season, then won the next three in a row. But Vec was not around to celebrate the pennants, though. Because in 1943, at the age of 29, he enlisted in the Marine Corps. Whoa. Yeah. So he's the owner of the Brewers. He's just like, well, time to go. Yeah. So he goes over. Uh, and he asked to be sent to a war zone. Yeah, and if specifically. he
0: joined, if he joined the Marines,
1: he's going to the he's going to fight Japan. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. After basic training, he was shipped to Guadalcanal in Guadalcanal. the Solomon Islands, but he still played a role with the team by using war correspondence to get his thoughts and ideas back to Milwaukee. <laughs>
0: Hey Ernie, Ernie Pyle, yeah. uh, yeah, could can, can you just run a line over the, uh, over the wire? Over and the just, Pacific? And just let, just Tell let them, him them to bunt. Tell them to bunt. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: the fact that Vec was conducting baseball business from a war zone was newsworthy and certainly didn't hurt the team's attendance. But it was in that war zone that he was seriously wounded. An anti-aircraft gun he was firing recoiled, smashing his right leg. Fuck yeah! No, but like oh,
0: I always think about that. Anytime you see like artillery videos or like just like the
1: of that like yeah he, yeah like, yeah that kickback, you
0: know somebody accidentally was in the wrong place oh, at yeah. the right
1: time. So Bill Vec Bill Vec was one so of them. So it smashed his leg. Smashed his leg like uh-huh. down like the shin part. I oh. think it became infected, and he was shipped back to the United States for treatment. After spending fifteen of the twenty one months he was in uniform in hospitals. Part of his leg was amputated But he was never one to wallow in self-pity And he threw a party for himself And danced the night away on his new prosthetic limb I knew he had a fake
0: leg And I didn't know where he got it from <laughs> yeah,
1: That's where he got <laughs> it
0: that is, uh, Well, I mean, good for him I mean, at least he, he got it in an honorable way And fucking just yeah. kept going with it yeah, and So he's like 31 now And just going wild yeah. He joined the Marines at like 21, or mm-hmm. I mean 29. 29, yeah.
1: yeah. So, um, so he, like I say, he danced the night away, and, but the ordeal wasn't over. He required a series of surgeries and skin grafts over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vec handled the pain with a singular sense of humor, though. Quote, suffering is overrated. It doesn't teach you anything. That was his mantra. And he turned his new limb into a sight gag. He would light a cigarette, pull his pant leg up, and use the ashtray he carved into the wood. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so he's got, like, an ashtray calf.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He'd, like, cross his leg, put yeah, his leg yeah, up like this, yeah. and be like,
0: there you, you know, go. just
1: tap it out there.
0: I mean, why not? You I Might mean, as well. Amputees need to get creative. <laughs>
1: Tell amputees what to do. I won't. I'm sorry if you're an
0: amputee, but get creative.
1: Decades (laughs) later, he took a bad fall at the Baltimore airport. Somebody asked, quote, can I call you a doctor? No, he shot back. It's the wooden leg. Get me a carpenter. (laughs) (laughs) And his children report that he used to keep various shades of brown paint on hand in summer so that the tan on his wooden leg would deepen as the season progressed. (laughs) I don't know if that's true or not, but if that is true, that and he painted it up as the summer went on. That's amazing. But what does he do in the fall
0: when he starts to get pale? He yeah, on- paints it back to pale. <laughs>
1: okay. It just get heavier and heavier over the years, I guess. Yeah. So then in 1944, Grimm left the Brewers for another tour as manager of the Cubs and persuaded his old friend Casey Stengel to take over in Milwaukee. And Vec was furious when the news reached him in the Pacific weeks later because Stangle had been fired after losing records as manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers and Boston Braves. Vec wrote Grimm a blistering letter demanding that he, quote, fire that clown Stangle forthwith. (laughs) So these are the messages he's like relaying back and (laughs) forth across the Pacific. You quit and you hired Stangle? Fire him! (laughs) What's he got against Casey Stengel? Well, at this time, he, he was fired for being a shitty manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers and Boston Braves. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. but like, he, he hadn't had his Yankee years yeah, I yet, guess. I guess. But uh, after Stengel brought home the pennant, Vec admitted his mistake. He asked Stengel to stay for 1945, but Casey heard about the letter and decided he'd go home to California. Vec, told, or sorry, Vec sold the Brewers soon after he returned from military service in 1945 for a cool, for, cool profit of $275,000, claiming, quote, it was a choice between my club and my marriage. The truth was that the marriage had been in trouble even before Vec joined the Marines. He moved Eleanor and their three children to a dude ranch in Arizona that he named the Lazy V. Their reconciliation didn't work. Neither did his divorce from baseball. Within a few months, he began looking for a way to get back into the action. A vulture in search of a dying baseball club. Yeah. A, a, a,
0: you a knew Eleanor, wrote. after Eleanor had such wonderful relationships with the elephants, you knew she was <laughs> just, like, n- nobody was
1: going to be good enough for her. Yep. So, Cleveland, or, uh, sorry, Walter and Sergeant Cleveland had not won a pennant since 1920 and had seldom been in the race. Vec put together a syndicate to buy the team for $2.2 million. Vec later wrote that he tried to buy the bankrupt Phillies after the 1942 season and intended to stock the team with black players, breaking organized baseball's color line three years before Jackie Robinson signed with the Dodgers. In his 1962 autobiography, he asserted that he had lined up facing or sorry, he had lined up financing and enlisted the promoter Abe Saperstein, owner of the Harlem Globetrotters, to help sign Negro League players. Vec said he informed commissioner Kennesaw Mountain Landis of his plan as a courtesy, but that Landis and National League president Ford Frick Ford Frick thwarted him by arranging a quick sale of the Phillies to another buyer that's amazing
0: it's so Ken uh, saw uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here I'm just gonna buy the Phillies uh, mm-hmm. i my Eleanor left me she's gone back to the elephants um, <laughs> uh, I don't have a leg anymore uh, you know I got some crazy promotions in mind uh, so I'm gonna buy can I buy the Phillies you're cool with that cool you're good you're good okay so I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna just just stock them with black players no <laughs> oh but you were two minutes ago, you said that was cool.
1: Nope. <laughs> that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> they just, just fucking shut him down, arranged his sale to somebody else. But it's kind of, this is another thing that's sort of like kind of argued because he, uh, he signed Larry Doby in yes, 1947. Yes, yes. And he never really, he never mentioned anything about it then, you know.
0: Yeah. It so it's like another
1: guy, thing that could have been added to. So this guy just like thinks of
0: things and then like, it's just like that happened.
1: Yeah. Like adds <laughs> it to his autobiography that he writes in the 80s or yeah. whatever in the uh, 70s. All right. So, so yeah, there, there's
0: definitely some, some embellishment possibly.
1: Yeah. But it's, you know, there is also, it, it should be pointed out that there is nothing to prove it negative either Mm -hmm. so you know it very well could have happened but there's no real way to prove it one way or another but uh anyway so now vex in cleveland Mm -hmm. owns the cleveland indians Vex brought his stunts fireworks and giveaways with him although other minor league owners had embraced the value of promotion such falderall had never befouled a big league park New York Yankees public relations director Red Patterson summed up the state of the major's marketing efforts. He said Yankees general manager George Weiss vetoed a cap giveaway with a disdainful remark saying, quote, I don't want every kid in New York walking around in a Yankee cap. (laughs)
0: Like,
1: I don't understand why you wouldn't. Here's the thing, baby. We we, we give them hats just like the ballplayers have. Uh, and then they'll want to grow up to be more like the ball players, and maybe they'll come to want to watch the ball players. And we could sell these hats so the people that weren't there to get the hats and they see them with the hats. So well, but then they... how are the people that are going to be able to tell who's a Yankee and who's a child? <laughs> they're going to be walking on the street. They're going to say Mickey Mantle. <laughs> It'll be an eight-year-old boy.
0: What happens? Hats. What's next? Jerseys? <laughs> Pants? Jock straps? <laughs> are we going to give them bats? <laughs>
1: So George Weiss, as you can understand, is no longer, uh, I mean, he's probably dead, but he'd yep. be no longer involved in marketing these days. Uh, <laughs> responding to sneers that his stunts were decidedly lowbrow, Vex said, quote, My tastes I have found are so average that anything that appeals strongly to me is probably going to appeal to most of the customers. In his philosophy, every day was Mardi Gras and every fan a king. <laughs> Or a queen. I like that he's just like, I'm just so normal. Like,
0: I just, everything that I like, look at my leg. Like, it's not even a brag. It's just being like, you know, I'm just. I know what so, the people want. I'm basic as fuck. And you know what? You know what people want? People want a goddamn lobster under their seat and, and a, a baseball pig. hat.
1: And a guinea pig and a broken horse. <laughs> <laughs> um, Where am I here? After he took over in June 1946, Vec pushed Cleveland's suffering attendance above $1 for the first time. He moved the games from League Park, which had room for only 22,500 people, to the 78,000-seat Municipal Stadium, which the team previously had only used on Sundays, holidays, and for games with anticipated large crowds. He removed the door to his office and listed his home phone number in the public directory. So you could just call up Bill Veck and complain to him about the Indians. (laughs) Which, at the time, I'm sure there was many good conversations. (laughs) I imagine. I'm not sure how many he, like, I guess he he wouldn't necessarily answer every single one.
0: Yeah, it was not like he was home a lot, too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Veck, again, tried to patch up his marriage during the 1946 World Series. He invited Eleanor to join him at the series. Unfortunately, along with dozens of friends and business associates. Vex spent his time entertaining the guests rather than his wife.
0: Yeah, that's a... I mean, I see what he was doing. He was trying to be like, look how important
1: I am. But the thing is, like, they weren't in the World Series in 1946. He was just like... I guess he could go because he was an owner of a team or whatever, but, you know. Where was the 1946 World Series? I can't remember, but the, the, the Cleveland was not in it. Cleveland, okay. Cleveland finished like fourth or fifth that year.
0: Yeah, uh, I don't know why. I'm like trying to Google really quickly yeah. and I'm like really doing a bad job at it. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, uh, I did find out uh, according to Google uh what <laughs> 1946 was. Yeah, it was a seven <laughs> It was a seven game series. Yeah, it was the Cardinals and Red Sox.
1: That's right. Yep. And uh so as I say, it was a seven game series and Eleanor was not impressed obviously <laughs> and she left him for good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cleveland finished sixth in 1946. There it is. Yep. And rose only to fourth the next year, although attendance jumped to 1.5 million. So his promotions are doing wonders, obviously.
0: Yeah, the team's slowly
1: getting better, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, they uh, were second best in the – or, sorry, the attendance was second best in the league. Mm-hmm. Vex signed the American League's first black player, Larry Doby, in July, and then he signed Satchel Page played up his uh, mystery around his age and he had a new drawing card as well as a useful picture. He had a what? Like a drawing card. Like look, it's satchel page. coming, oh, you know oh, like a marquee. Oh. Someone to put on the marquee. A marquee, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: I was like I was like he just drew a picture No, no. <laughs> I'm like picturing him like drawing names out of a, a hat, hat? No, to no. find out who no. was pitching. <laughs> no. That no,
1: night. No, no. <laughs> no no. He had like a name that would draw a crowd. Yes. And uh a useful pitcher, obviously. Yes. So, Vec also acquired Yankee second baseman, Joe Gordon, a former MVP who returned to stardom with Cleveland for a few years. Finally, he decided to get rid of his shortstop and manager, Lou Boudreau. At 30, Boudreau was a former batting champion and seven-time All-Star, but Vec derided him as a hunch manager. So... I I don't know what that means. I assume that means he just like ah, he goes with his gut too much. He doesn't yeah, play yeah. the the doesn't percentages. Think, yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. all right. But it's also like I in reading this, I was like, why couldn't he just like demote him to just a Short player? Stuff. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> like you don't have right to now. get rid of him. <laughs> yeah, like this is the problem. Yeah, when you have player managers, yeah. you know if once they become a shitty player or a shitty manager, yeah. you might still want them as a player, yeah. and vice versa.
1: Yeah. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess it could go either way. Yeah. So, anyway, the, the when word of the plan to trade Boudreau leaked, Vect faced a hurricane of criticism. So, obviously, he was still a good player. And, and popular. And, yeah, and the fan, so the fans freaked out. Uh, there was no sports talk radio then, but fans made their opinions clear in letters to the papers. Or just tr- calling Bill's house. Yeah, that's true. I <laughs> guess they could have done that, too. Left a lot of messages on his, his voicemails full. Yeah. Uh, and sports writers lent a megaphone to the outcry. He announced he would bow to the fans' wishes and keep the manager. That's always a good working relationship after yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the, but that being said, the Boudreaux trade was the best deal Vec never made. Oh. Boudreaux had the season of his life in nineteen forty eight, batting three fifty five with a four fifty three on base percentage and a five thirty four slugging average, and won the MVP. Veteran third baseman Ken Keltner, Keltner turned in a career year. Gordon slugged 32 home runs, and pitchers Gene Bearden and Bob Lemon each won 20 games while finishing 1-2 in ERA. The Indians fought the Yankees, Red Sox, and the surprising Philadelphia Le- Athletics in a tight pennant race, with a team winning with a winning team and a thrilling race added to vex non-stop promotions 2.6 million fans turned out a major league record that stood for 14 years the season ended with cleveland and boston tied in a one game playoff Bujor hit two home runs as the indians won eight to three wow yeah so yeah so that was the season of his life definitely yeah Vec made the World Series an event for the common fan. Series tickets had always been sold in sets for all home games. and At this time, this is when the middle three were played in Cleveland. Yeah. So it was two, three, two. But Vex sold single-game tickets to allow three times as many people to see their team play for the championship. Yeah. The Indians defeated the Boston Braves in six games. The 1948 season was the triumph of Vec's life but after the victory parade, he went home to his empty apartment. He wrote later, "I had never been more lonely in my life." <laughs> Isn't well, Eleanor's, the, gone the, to the yeah, elephants, Eleanor's gone. You know. Yeah,
0: Eleanor's <laughs> gone. Yeah, elephant's gone. Eleanor's yeah. gone. I mean, but that's what he's he's accomplished you know that that's the thing that's why we're never we're never happy you know in the end <laughs> even if you accomplish the the greatest yeah. thing that you ever chose to accomplish
1: he's like now i got to come up with another great
0: promotion <laughs> <laughs> exactly well i mean like, i i knew that was coming just based on like the the major league uh, the beginning of the major league episode right i was just like oh yeah
1: they're going all the way at one point here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh so, he, like I say, he said he'd never been more lonely in his life, which may explain why Vex's years in Cleveland were marked by a quest for excitement. He joined a group of late night revelers known as the Jolly Set, which is ironic. Yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> when Cleveland's cafe society proved too tame, he began making overnight commutes to New York, flying into the city to close down the Coke. Copacabana nightclub then flying home the next morning (laughs) Jesus well he's he was partying
0: in college he's he's, just he's going through like a midlife crisis clearly at this moment yeah he's he's got one leg yeah he's (laughs) almost 40 I guess at this point he's just he's single he doesn't know what to do with himself he's successful and like has accomplished so much but he's also empty inside and is trying to fill it with drugs and alcohol and sex
1: yeah At the Cococo Cabana (laughs) nightclub. So after 1948, inevitably, the 1949 season was a disappointment. Uh, Cleveland dropped to third place and attendance fell by more than 300,000. Vec continued to rev his promotional engine, but he could not outdo himself. When the club was eliminated from the pennant race, he staged a funeral at the ballpark and buried the 1948 flag. (laughs) (laughs) A stunt that outraged some of his players and fans.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, we suck. Yeah, we suck this year. We might as
1: well bury all the success that we've had in the past. I'm not depressed or anything. (laughs) Uh, Before the season was over, he was looking to sell. Uh, He claimed the thrill was gone in Cleveland, but Vec actually sold the team because he needed cash to settle his divorce and provide trust funds for... His and Eleanor's three children, and he seldom saw the children after that. His middle child, Peter, met him only twice between the ages of 8 and 23. His daughter, Ellen, said her mother became withdrawn following the divorce, quote, so I feel as I have been raised as an orphan. That's that's
0: terrible. That's pretty terrible. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Everything went to shit. Yeah, there in yeah, that, uh, yeah, yeah. There's in that some unit. dark family stuff. Yeah. So while negotiating to sell the team, Vec was taking instruction to convert to Catholicism. He had <laughs> fallen in love with Mary Frances Ackerman, a vivacious publicist for the Ice Capades show, and she wanted to be married in a church, uh. her church, I guess. I love that. Father, how do you feel about
0: overnight trips to New York to get fucking (laughs) wasted? (laughs) Uh, Not very good, Bill. I'm going to be honest. (laughs) All right. The Lord uh... frowns upon those things. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, it's just not fun in Cleveland. They just don't do the same things. The girls won't do the same things. I mean.
1: (laughs) Well, the Lord lives in Cleveland, Bill. (laughs) So anyway, he and Mary Francis were married on April 29th, 1950. He had found his life partner. She joined him as a host of radio and television shows and as an energetic public speaker, promoting whatever team he owned. They also produced six children. His son, Mike, said later, quote, My father loved baseball so much he had nine kids. When the DH was introduced, my mom left town. <laughs>
0: That's like also just like, I mean, you got three kids that you basically don't see already. Yeah. (laughs) And just really licked it up with six months. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) Uh, The couple moved to Vex Arizona Ranch, but not for long. Civic leaders from Milwaukee, L.A., and other cities wanted him to buy a major league club and bring it to their area. Beck set his sights on the St. Louis Browns, the American League's perennial doormats. The team had won its only pennant in the wartime 1944 season when its draft rejects proved stronger than the competitions. Uh, the Browns were playing second fiddle to the Cardinals in the Major League's smallest two-market team. Visiting teams even complained that their share of the sparse gate receipts didn't even cover the travel expenses to get there. So, the Browns are suffering.
0: Yeah, the, the Browns are, well, they were, as as you put it, a perennial doormat. Yeah. yeah. They were never, ever, ever good. No,
1: no. And they, they, they were, like is it playing second fiddle to, like, the tenant in their stadium. Yeah, you know? exactly. The Cardinals were... Just, Always good. Yeah. Always good. Uh, When Vec bought the Browns in July 1951, it was widely predicted that he would move the franchise. But he later insisted that he planned to stay in St. Louis and run the Cardinals out of town. Of course he said that. (laughs) Vec succeeded merely in annoying Cardinals owner Fred Sy... By hiring former Cardinal stars Rogers Hornsby and Marty Marion as managers. <laughs> as well as Dizzy Dean as the announcer. I just love it. He's just like rubbing it in their face. I'm just going to take all the old Cardinals and then yeah. soon they won't even
0: know. We'll just, we'll just change our name to the Cardinals. we <laughs> <be>
1: two Cardinals <laughs> and we won't know the difference. He also decorated Sportsman's Park, which the Browns owned, but which both teams shared with Browns mem- memorabilia and nothing else. <laughs> He's just like, nope, Cardinals don't even exist. Yep, yeah. He's just uh, what's
0: what's the uh, what's the what's the word? What the? It's the... I don't know. Gaslighting them. Yes. <laughs> he, yes. he is gaslighting. But no, they
1: don't exist. An entire fan base. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You guys are nuts. Uh, on his first night as owner of the Browns, he served free beer or soda to everybody in the ballpark. All right. The man knows what the people want. He said
0: he did and he he does. He, if anybody had a promotion that was just like, come to
1: this place, there's free beer and soda. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Just six weeks later, he pulled his most famous stunt. Three-foot-seven-inch Eddie Guidel popped out of the Browns' dugout to lead off in the second game of a doubleheader against the Tigers. Following a grand introduction to the crowd between the two games, where Guidel emerged from a massive cake, which was served to the fans with free beer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You had a little person That's right. inside a cake. That's right. Which was a real cake. <laughs> that was a real cake. Which was served to people. That's right. And you did this in between. So it wasn't even like, it wasn't like to begin the season. It was just in the middle of a doubleheader. Just like, stick around. We got a big surprise. And That's there's right. cake and beer for everyone. <laughs>
1: That's right. And then a little person pops <laughs> out of the cake. In a uniform.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. Oh my God, Bill. Yeah. So Man knows what people want. Yeah.
1: He knows what people want, even if they don't know what they yeah. want. Manager Zach Taylor showed the umpire that Guidel had indeed signed a contract. And then the tiny man squeezed into a deep crouch at home plate, displaying a strike zone slightly larger than a matchbox. Vec mm-hmm. threatened to shoot him if he swung the bat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just do.
1: No. I mean, I'm sure that's a hyperbolic threat, yeah, but like, but, you know.
0: Oh my God! All
1: right. As the largest crowd in nearly four years whooped with delight, Detroit catcher Bob Swift dropped to his knees, and pitcher Bob Kane delivered four high ones. Guidel trotted to first base, slapped his pinch runner on the backside, and ran to the dugout, waving his cap. <laughs> The next day, American League president Will Harridge, with the full support and collusion of the commissioner, voided Guidel's contract and banned, quote, midget players from the game. What? Yeah.
0: No, that's fucked up. No, that right there, that's more fucked up than (laughs) what Bill did. No kidding. No kidding. (laughs) That is absolutely...
1: excuse the slur, but like... Vec responded as only he could, demanding a ruling on whether Yankee shortstop Phil Rizzuto, at five foot six, with a short <laughs> ball player or a tall midget. <laughs> he then protested that six foot five Walt, Dr- Walt Droppo of the Boston Red Sox, who the Browns were playing next, was too tall.
0: <laughs> Which is a fair yeah, point. Yeah. Like, no, this you know, is exactly this is where we're. <laughs>
1: you should be. Doesn't matter how big you are. If you can play, you can play. That's right. Exactly. So Vex said, "Quote: I try not to break the rules, but merely to test their elasticity." Yes, it was a little happy Gilmore. Yeah, exactly. not testing it; it was just (laughs) testing its durability. It it was made of wood. (laughs) (laughs) Five days after the Guidel game, Vex struck again with Grandstand Manager Night. Did you hear that? I'm assuming that this gives the audience
0: some sort of uh, ownership of the managerial decisions. He handed
1: placards printed with yes and no (laughs) to fans sitting behind the home dugout, and at key points of the game, they were asked to call the plays. Steal, bunt, hit and run. I feel like this really takes the surprise out of it for the other team. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess, like, I'm not sure how it would work, but I guess it's kind of implied, like, they wouldn't, I don't think it was, like, put up on the scoreboard well, or anything like that. how else do you ask so That's many true. people? That's true. How would you ask so many people? Because it says there was 1,100 people. <laughs> Manager Zach Taylor watched from the rocking chair puffing his pipe while the 1,100 or so managers in the stands guided the Browns to victory over the Athletics 5-3. to three. Oh, my God. So they
0: won. Yes. <laughs> yeah, what year was this? Uh...
1: I don't even think, know. In the, in like, the, it's
0: Like, yeah, okay. it's Yeah, it's. I was like gonna the, say. You know, I was gonna say he's no, yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely. Uh, I was just wondering if Charles Finley was on the other side. Fifties. Okay, so it wasn't Charles Finley yet. No, with the athletics, but anyways, that is just absolutely. Yeah, this guy's definitely. The manager's just like, well, fuck it. I'm gonna smoke a pipe and sit on a rocking chair, Bill. If you <laughs> <laughs> might as well. <laughs> I might as well.
1: Might as well. Uh, but in the eyes of many critics, Vec had gone too far. Mm -hmm. He had inserted his stunts into the ballgame, made a mockery of it, but the Browns' attendance improved in the second half of the season, even though the team finished last. In 1952, attendance nearly doubled, but it was still the lowest in the league as the club rose only one slot in the standings. So, next, the IRS brought Vec down. Although it had nothing to do with his own shaky finances... Cardinals owner Fred Sy was convicted of income tax evasion and was forced to sell his club. It looked as first as though Vec had won uh, because a Houston group put in a bid to buy the cards and move them. But August A. Bush Jr., owner of the giant Anheuser-Busch Brewery, stepped in to keep the Cardinals in town. With this development, Vec knew it was over for him in St. Louis. Saying, "quote I wasn't going to run Gussie Bush out of town." So we're at like 47 minutes. So I think uh call that as like the first half for now. But wow, uh, that yeah. was just half. That's just half. Like that's just like he he still owns the Browns. Yeah. This is only 1951. Holy like, hell! Know, so
0: all right, well we're gonna we're gonna keep this going in part two. Uh, Tune in next time. This is phenomenal. I thought we were just going for it, but holy shit, there's still more to go.
1: Yeah. I uh, can't wait to see how this concludes.
0: Yeah. Uh, so uh, until next until time. Until
1: next time, follow us on Twitter at Doing Baseball and uh, Instagram at Doing Dot Baseball and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that stuff. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time.
0: I'm Sean. And I'm Eds, And we were doing baseball. And this is part one
1: of Bill Veek. VEC. VEC, as in REC. (laughs) Okay, bye.